Well, before I begin, let me just say uh, how grateful I am to uh, Pastor Jeff and our leadership team for leading us all through this strange and challenging season of our church life. I think they've done a fantastic job. Uh, And I'm also excited about the the news that he shared with us today, that beginning next weekend, uh, masks are optional at all our campuses and all our venues, and so we're glad to hear that. I heard someone say yesterday that when that day comes, we had to all bring our masks and then throw them all up in the air like graduating seniors... (laughs) which maybe we'll do that next week. Um, But I do also want you to know that they're optional. So if you choose to wear one because you're more comfortable, no one's going to look down on you. No one's going to make any big deal deal about it. And if you don't want to wear one, you don't have to wear one. So we're looking forward to that very much. But I thank our leadership team for how they've led us. I'm going to start with a little game today. Are you up for that? little game? Okay, I got this idea from Tom Ward, who's our uh, student ministries pastor, and I liked it. And the game is called Have You Forgotten? Okay? Have you forgotten? So if you've forgotten any of these things in, let's say, the last month, I want you to raise your hand and then give yourself a point, okay? Okay, number one, have you forgotten where you put your glasses in the last month? Anybody? Anybody? Okay, I've been known to be looking for my glasses when they're on my head. This is how I like to wear them around the house. Maybe you've done that. Uh, Have you forgotten your, I think I have them here, (laughs) My car, your car keys. Have you forgotten your car keys and left them somewhere? Okay. I did this Friday. I had a meeting with Pastor Jeff downstairs in this building, left to go out to the car in the parking lot. My keys were in his office. Had to go back and get my keys. Have you forgotten your phone? Have you, have you misplaced your phone recently? Okay. This true story, not long ago, just a few weeks ago, I was in my house looking for my phone with my phone. I was looking in the couch cushions. Okay. Have you any time in the last month forgotten your mask when you went to walk into a store? I hate that. You're going into Jewel to get a, some groceries and you get to the door and somebody's walking out and they look at you like you're from Mars because you don't have a mask on. You got to go back out to your car to find your mask. Starting next week, it won't be necessary anymore. Okay. Have you forgotten where you parked your car. I've done that recently. Have you done the daily double? Meaning, you go into the store, you realize you forgot your mask, you go out to get your car, and you forgot where your car is. (laughs) How about this? Have you forgotten a special day? Let's say an anniversary or a Valentine's Day. Uh Uh-huh. If you want to do something really fun sometime, go to the local, uh, your local supermarket that has a flower section, go, but go there at like 6 a.m. on a Valentine's Day. It'll be swarming with men who are all trying not to make eye contact with each other because they forgot, right? Don't ask me how I know that. Um, how many points did you get? I got at least five, okay, at least five points. Well, our brains, scientists tell us, have something like 100 billion neurons. The human brain is capable of amazing things. I mean, we can learn languages, learn multiple languages. We can build things that go into outer space. Uh, I can remember Mickey Mantle's batting average from 1956. But we forget simple things like where our, our, our car keys are. What causes us to forget? I actually looked that up, and the people who study these kinds of things say there are two main reasons why we forget things, simple things or important things. Uh, The first reason is what they call decay. Uh, That is, our ability to remember something fades over time unless we rehearse it or revisit it or are reminded of it 
like a message written in sand on the seashore. It gets washed away. And sometimes I think I have a very sandy brain. Uh, The second reason is what they call interference. That is, our memories get crowded out by other competing bits of information. Like when you meet someone, or like when I meet someone for the first time, hear their name, and immediately forget it because I'm thinking about what I'm going to say next, right? That's that phenomenon. We all know what that's like. Well, today we continue our series from 2 Peter called Faith That Finishes, and Peter is going to spend some time helping us to remember important things. Now, Peter's writing to first-generation followers of Jesus scattered all over the Roman Empire. Uh, Last week, we began this series by looking at the first part of chapter 1 of 2 Peter when he says, God has given you everything you need for a godly life. Uh, So make every effort, he says, to add to your faith. And he lists out seven spiritual characteristics that we are all to grow in all the time. Goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and love. Now today we start in verse 12 of 2 Peter chapter 1. So let me read these verses to you, and then we're going to dig in together. Peter's writing, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Those are the seven spiritual qualities I just went through, how God wants to grow these things in us. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. Notice, Peter's reminding them of what they already know. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. I think it's right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty." For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now we're going to stop there. I think we see Peter giving us three sort of chunks of instruction. First, a final remember, and then a personal testimony, and then the confirmation of prophecy. Let's begin with a final reminder. So last week we looked at the first 11 verses of 2 Peter chapter 1 when he says his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Um, and I preached at the Kesslinger campus last weekend and I was on the online service. So if you happen to watch that, uh, I no- used an illustration about, about parents packing up a son and daughter uh, and sending them off to college. And sometimes it looks a little like that. As parents, you want them to have all the, all the material things they need for college. You know, clothes, bedding, a small refrigerator, everything you can fit into your car or van. But I want to take that example a little bit further today. You've provided all the stuff that they need, but what would you say to them? Uh, what advice would you want most to give them as they begin their life in college? What reminders would you give them for success? Here are a few things that that I think about and that I would have said to our boys, uh, go to class, 
right? It's really hard to flunk out of college if you go to class. If you don't go to class, it's pretty easy to flunk out of college. I would say sit in the front of the class if you can. I found that once I sat in the front of the class, it was harder to fall asleep in class, uh, and the professor tended to give me a better grade if I sat in the front of the class. I would say don't get behind in your studies. Things move faster in college. In high school, I could sort of wait till right at the end of the semester, then do all the work in a week. Can't do that in college. Things go faster. Don't get behind. I would say, get your sleep. I learned this the hard way. My first semester in college, when I had an 8 a.m. class and was going to bed at 2 in the morning, I got about a month in, I thought to myself, why am I so tired all the time? I would say, eat well. Pizza no more than five times a week, right? Eat well. (laughs) Make good friends. That is, friends who are good for you. And I would say then, remember that we love you no matter what. And most of all, remember that Jesus loves you and is always with you. Listen to what Peter says, verse 12. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right as long as I am in this body. The word he uses there is literally tent, the tent of this body, a temporary structure. To stir you up, literally to wake you up, by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. I think Peter here is offering what I would call a needed reminder. Why does Peter feel the need to remind them of what they already know? Well, first, we talked about this, decay, right? Because we tend to forget over time. Second, because of interference. That is because we are inundated by all kinds of different information and different voices. Now we're going to see this very clearly next week, but Peter is concerned because false teachers and false teachings have been cropping up in the early church. Uh, and, and people are being confused by some of these teachings. Uh, for example, there were those, evidently, who were saying that the promise of the second coming of Jesus was not true, that it was just a fairy tale, that you could apply Jesus' teachings now, but all that stuff about resurrection and second coming, that's all, all make-believe. Now, we can laugh about, about forgetting where our keys are. We can laugh about forgetting uh, our mask or why we went into the kitchen, but to forget the promise of Jesus is a much more serious matter, so Peter wants to remind them of what they already know. And reminders are essential to our faith. That's kind of what we do every week as preachers. We are taking the Word and reminding you many times of what you already know. And all throughout the Bible, we see that God repeats His commands to His people. He repeats His covenants. He reminds His people over and over again about who He is and what He has done for them and what He will do for them. Why? Because we forget because we drift, we get distracted, we become swayed by what is easier, by what's more popular, by what everyone else around us is doing or believing. I think of young people who we send off to college, and unless they go to a faith-based institution of higher learning, they will be told from the moment they step on campus every day in a hundred ways that everything they learned growing up about faith is wrong. Not only is it wrong, it's dangerous and foolish. That will happen. How do they remember? Who will remind them? I think of Christians over this past, say, 18 months or so, who uh, 
have not been able to come to church regularly because of COVID or whatever else, but they've been inundated with the rhetoric in our culture, with political rhetoric, social rhetoric, and they've become distracted or confused or even angry, and they've forgotten some of the things they already know. I think that's happened. We need to be reminded because it's human nature to forget. Peter's also offering an urgent reminder. Did you notice that three times in this one paragraph, he refers to his own death? He said, as long as I am in this body, this tent, this temporary structure, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, and he says, so that after my departure. Why does Peter talk like this? I think it goes back to a conversation he had with Jesus just days after the resurrection, just days after his, his threefold denial of Christ, when he had a conversation along the Sea of Galilee. John chapter 21, we see this. Jesus says, to, speaking to Peter, Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Does this posture remind you of something? Jesus warned Peter some 30 years earlier that he would one day die with his hands stretched out. The early church fathers, like people like Clement of Rome and Tertullian, tell us that Peter indeed was crucified as a follower of Jesus. Some Church traditions say he was crucified upside down because he, he said he was not worthy to die in the same manner as our Lord. So Peter knows also at this time of writing the letter that Emperor Nero has targeted Christians. He's probably already executed the Apostle Paul. So he understands very clearly what we don't like to acknowledge about ourselves. He understands that he's going to die. And he's going to die very soon, probably within a, a few months of penning this letter. And because he knows his time is running out, there's a sense of urgency to his reminder. Think of it this way. If you were nearing the end of your earthly life and you knew it, and you could write one letter to the people most important to you, your children, your grandchildren, what would you make sure was in that letter? What would you want them most to know? Peter's great concern here is not the manner of his death. It's leaving a spiritual legacy. And this should be our greatest concern as well. Finally, Peter wants to leave a lasting reminder. In verse 15, he says, And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Peter's desire, his passion, is to leave a spiritual legacy, words of truth and encouragement that last far beyond his own earthly life. And think about this. Because he did that, because that was his passion, today, 2,000 years later, we read these same words. The second thing we see in this part of this chapter is a personal testimony. Personal testimony. I have a confession to make. I've, I've mentioned this over the years, but I have a, a habit of, um, as I go through the checkout line at my local grocery store, you know, where all the candy is and the gum and stuff like that, there's almost always a rack of, of tabloid magazines, right? And if the line is long enough, I have kind of a habit of, I like to read the headlines on those tabloids, you know, just see what's happening in the world, to see what's fun. And here's a few I found. Farmer shoots 23-pound grasshopper. And you think the 17-year 
uh, cicadas are bad, right? One more. Oh, here's another one. Uh, vampire cat captured. Personally, I find this rather comforting because deep down I believe that all cats really want to kill you if they can. <laughs> now, if you're a cat owner, cat lover, I apologize, but be careful. Here's another one. Half alligator, half human found in Florida swamp. Well, it's Florida, right? Uh, one more. World's smartest ape goes to college. I might have gone to school with that guy, I think. Here's a question. How do you know these are not true? How do you know they're not true? Well, you've never seen any of these things yourself, right? You don't know anybody who has seen something like this. And so you can assume these are all made-up stories for entertainment. Now, I think we've all seen a kind of uh, erosion of truth in our world. Isn't that true? Where once we trusted our government leaders, where once we trusted our newspapers, where once we trusted the evening news to tell us the truth, we now have our doubts, don't we, quite often? I saw a survey recently that asked a question, is there such a thing as absolute truth? Is there such a thing as absolute truth? Only 28% of Americans said yes, they believe that. The rest say no, truth is whatever you want it to be. The prevailing thought, in fact, in our culture today is truth is whatever you think it is. You get to decide what's true for you, and that's all that matters. And this was true to some degree in the first century world as well. Look at verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. That word majesty means magnificence or splendor. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter's saying, we didn't make this up. We didn't make this up. We did not follow cleverly devised myths. The word means fable or fanciful story. Now, the ancient pagan world, as many of you know, was filled with mythology. For example, there was the myth of Prometheus. Do you know it? Prometheus was the guy uh, who, according to Greek mythology, gave fire to human beings. And Zeus was so upset about that, he had him chained to a rock so birds could peck out his liver. Okay? Now, there are no eyewitnesses of that. That's a myth. It's a fable. It's a story made up by someone. Likewise, there were false teachers rising up in the church. Again, we're going to hear much more about this next week, who were saying things about Jesus that were contrary to Jesus' own words and contrary to the teaching of the apostles. And it made me wonder, what are the, the mythologies, the cleverly devised fables of our culture today? We don't talk about Prometheus anymore, but we still have some. For example, you are your own truth. We hear this every day. Speak your truth. What's true to you is good for you. Speak your truth. We hear all religions are essentially the same. We hear you can live a life without limits. If you listen to a lot of TV advertisement for products, they're basically telling you that. You deserve to live a life without any limits. You deserve to be happy. You can have it your way. Peter says, we didn't make this up. 
Rather, he says, we were eyewitnesses. Verse 17, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. You may recognize what he's talking about here is what we call the transfiguration of Jesus. Now, the transfiguration is one of the stranger little stories in the Bible. I was thinking about it this week. I told Pastor Jeff, I don't think in all my years I've ever preached a sermon on the transfiguration. It's a strange little story. Maybe you've forgotten some of the details. So let me read it to you. It's in, all, it's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but let me read the version that comes from Matthew chapter 17. It says, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured. That word means transformed. Before them, his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. This makes me smile because, as you know, when Peter gets excited, he says funny things, and he does it here. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now, what in the world is going on here with this story? It sounds kind of like a tabloid headline to me. Farmer shoots 23-pound grasshopper. Jesus' face lights up like the sun. Moses and Elijah show up on the mountain. So how do we know it's true? How do we know this is true? Peter says, we were eyewitnesses. Not me alone, myself, James, and John. We all saw and heard the same thing. Now, the transfiguration is significant because of several reasons. First, it was a confirmation of who Jesus is. Now, this took place prior to the resurrection of Jesus. All right? So they, only, they knew him as a man. Uh, the very Son of God who receives honor and glory from the Father. Secondly, it's a revelation of the true majesty of Jesus. His face shone like the sun, Peter says. Third, it's a statement that Jesus is greater than both the law and the prophets. Moses representing the law and Elijah representing the prophets. God the Father says, listen to my son. And lastly, it's a preview of the second coming of Christ. Peter says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we were made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the word he uses here for coming is the Greek word parousia, which throughout the New Testament uh, is almost always used for the second coming of Jesus. It means arrival or appearing. If we look ahead to the great book of Revelation, and by the way, this summer we're going to spend some weeks in the book of Revelation. If we look at Revelation chapter 21, the Apostle John writes, I did not see a temple in the city, talking about the new Jerusalem, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. Now, the Lamb in Revelation is Jesus, and John is saying that the new heaven and new earth, what we call heaven, will be illuminated by his majesty and by his glory. And this is the source and power of what Peter calls our living hope. For if Jesus was not raised from the dead, we have no hope. If Jesus is not coming again, we have no hope. Peter says, we didn't make this stuff up. 
This didn't come out of our minds or our imagination. We were eyewitnesses to his majesty. We saw his face shine like the sun. We heard the voice of God the Father. This is my son. Listen to him. This is the truth of eyewitness testimony. And this is critical to trusting the Bible. If we look ahead to uh, 1 John, which is a letter written by the Apostle John in the New Testament, he writes this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. Both John and Peter are reminding us that the gospel is not a fairy tale. It wasn't created out of the imagination of men and women. The gospel is anchored in real time, real history, real places, and real people. It's rooted in personal testimony. So now I have to ask, what's, what's your story? What's your personal story? When did you encounter uh, the truth and majesty of Jesus for the first time? When and how did you experience his grace personally? If you have come to faith in Jesus, you have a personal testimony. You are a witness. But it's just that. It's personal, and it's subjective. And in our culture today, someone would easily say, wow, cool, good for you. That's not for me. Cool, that's your story. That's your truth, good for you. But that's not for me. How do we know that our personal experience of Jesus is the truth with a capital T. Peter now leads us to the third thing I see in this passage, which is the confirmation of prophecy. The confirmation of prophecy. Uh, years ago, and you may recall this story, I went to a, my dentist for a checkup. I hadn't been for a while, so I was kind of nervous. Uh, she did a routine cleaning, thorough check on my teeth. I think I only had one cavity, so I was kind of happy about that. But along the way somewhere, she said, uh, do you grind your teeth at night? And I said, I don't know, why do you ask? And she said, under the magnifying uh, instrument, I can see dozens of tiny uh, hairline cracks in the enamel of your teeth. I said, well, what does that mean? She said, well, usually it means someone is a, is a teeth grinder. They grind their teeth at night, unaware of it. And it also means that someday your teeth could crack. I said, well, what do I do about it? She said, well, I could make a, make a mold, this plastic mold, that uh, you can wear as a night guard to protect your teeth. I said, well, what's that cost? She said, about $300. I said, I'll think about it. You know, she's trying to sell me something. Uh, about two weeks later, literally two weeks later, I was eating popcorn on a Sunday night with our family, and one of my back molars broke and fell right out of my mouth. I realized that my dentist was a prophet of sorts. <laughs> Her prophecy was confirmed. She was telling me the truth, and to this day, I wear a night guard every night. Look at what Peter says in verse 19. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention to as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Now this is a beautiful reference to the second coming of Jesus. I'll say more about that in a minute. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, Peter is writing to mostly Jewish background Christians here. So they were familiar with prophecy. Many ancient Jewish people could recite 
chapter after chapter of the prophets. And he's reminding them that the prophets, almost all of them, foretold things about the Messiah that they were waiting for. That the Messiah would come from the line of David. Jesus did. That the Messiah would be born of a virgin. Jesus was. That the Messiah would be rejected by his own people. Jesus was. That the Messiah would suffer, and Jesus did suffer. That the Messiah would be the final sacrifice for the sins of the people, and Jesus was. That the Messiah would rise from the dead. Jesus did. And that the Messiah would come again in great power and great glory. Jesus promised multiple times that he would return. And these are only a few of the dozens and dozens of prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament in the prophets. What he's saying is that the prophets have confirmed that his eyewitness testimony that took place at the transfiguration is true. That his personal experience, his personal testimony is confirmed by the God's word. Now why does that matter so much to Peter? He says, you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. The morning star in that time and culture is a reference to the planet Venus. If you're an early riser, you see this yourself. It's the bright star you can see right before the day dawns in the darkness of the night sky. Peter's saying, he, Jesus, is the morning star. He is the crucified one, the risen one. Uh, the world is dark and broken by sin and death, but he is the light that shines in that darkness. And he is the one who gives new birth, new life, and living hope. He is the promised one to come again in his majesty. That's what Peter's saying in that one beautiful line. So, Peter knows that his death is near, very near. He knows that his brothers and sisters uh, around that part of the world are facing hardship from the outside. Persecution is rising. They're being confused by false teaching inside the church. The world is chaotic and dangerous and getting worse. I wonder if that sounds familiar to you. And he's writing what will almost certainly be his very last letter that he ever writes. And what does he say? He says, remember. Remember who Jesus is. Remember the eyewitness testimony I saw and I heard. Remember the prophetic word, how God's word confirms all that I've already told you. And when the time of suffering comes, and it would and it will, he says, remember the promise of Jesus to never leave you or forsake you. And when you're filled with wondering and doubts and questions, if what you believe is really true, if what you've learned from me is really true, remember your experience with Jesus. Remember his grace. Remember his love. Remember his forgiveness. And when you see the brokenness and darkness of the world all around you, and you're tempted to lose hope like God's not paying attention any longer, remember the light and truth of Jesus, the morning star. And one day, whether today, whether tomorrow, or many years from now, when you face death itself, Remember the majesty. Remember the majesty of Jesus. Because on that day, like Peter, and like all those who've gone before, you will see his face shining like the sun. For you will see him as he is. And that's Peter's final word to us. May God bless 
the truth of his word. Will you bow with me as we close? Lord Jesus, we thank you today for your word come to us from this ancient letter. We thank you for Peter's passion to remind us of the source and power and hope of our faith. We can look around. We know that our world is indeed a dark place, a broken place. Our world's full of voices that tell us that what we believe is foolish. Our world is full of half-truths and lies that sound like the truth, and we can get confused. So remind us today of your truth. Remind us today of your majesty. Remind us today of our living hope. 